Hey, this is Glenn, and today on Infants on Thrones, I sit down once again with psychotherapist Josh Neal. How do we live a meaningful life in the face of psychic emotional injury? To continue a series of reflective discussions about what our ongoing experience with the Mormon faith crisis has been teaching us about our own mental health, vulnerability, authenticity, acceptance of reality, and the power that we all have to create emotional well-being through all of it. The question is, how does that person live a good life in light of things that happen to them which are awful? Which is really what we're discussing at the core of this. We're using the Mormon lens of how Mormonism might specifically inflict psychological suffering on people. What I think the healing process is, is it's really about responsibility and need resolution. That's what I would say is healing. And living a life of healing means the person could meet the emotional need, which is, I'm angry at the church, I have a need to express myself, I have a need to be understood, I have a need to be seen, I have a need to express sadness, and that's how the need resolution can begin again, and that's how you can start to take on responsibility for your life meaningfully. It's about awareness, it's about acceptance and, and acknowledging and living. So that's really what, for me, it's about. and it's inappropriate to look at healing as now you will become ideal as you wish you always were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, if you find yourself on a similar journey and you're looking for someone to help you along the way, you can find Josh at Capitol Hill Therapy in Seattle, Washington. And you can find me right here at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And if you appreciate the work that I'm doing here, please come and support the podcast on Patreon. And now, this is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right josh welcome back to infants on thrones thanks for being here yeah it's kind of Happy like for, formal introductions when we've been talking for the last 15 minutes. It just seems <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, yeah. So so we're continuing these conversations. We've been having a couple of conversations. We've been recording them and publishing them because uh, it's really fun. I don't know. It, it's been great for me. I, I've i been thinking so much about Gestalt, and I, I don't know that in these first two conversations we've had, we've really come out and defined what Gestalt is. It's kind of like come out, I think in bits and pieces, but this idea of being in the moment, you gave me that uh, challenge in our first discussion or, or not a challenge, but just like the technique of paying attention to how I'm reacting in the moment, expressing that, like sharing that, like how I'm, mm -hmm. it's about me, not about like what I think caused mm -hmm. this or like any of the stories around with it. Mm -hmm. I've really been focusing on that a lot and it's been very interesting. I think it's helped it's helped get me out of a couple of binds that maybe we can talk about in the course of today's conversation. Yeah. But what I, what I really want to focus on today is this idea of healing. Mm -hmm. And like what because we talk about it, 
I talk about it a lot, how to heal from Mormon trauma, how to this. And I don't, I, I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't really know that I'd be able to look and go, oh yeah, this is somebody that's healed. This is somebody that's not healed. Or this is somebody that's on the path to healing. Like I might have some ideas, but I don't know how accurate that would be. So I want to talk about that with you, like what healing means to you. Mm-hmm. And I and I went and I found this thing on ex-Mormon Reddit where somebody was asking exactly these questions. So we'll read this and we'll talk about this here in a minute. But before we get to that, how are you doing, Josh? I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I love the topic. I I think it's a fascinating one. And I'm just kind of already lots of little ideas are popping up into my head. And about... anything anything you want to like jump into now before I read that email, or do you want to just like start with the email and go for or not the email, but the message on Reddit? Yeah, you know, maybe it's just the question, what is healing? What are we mm-hmm. talking about? And these words like trauma what yeah. what do we mean by trauma what do we mean by healing and already i'm having words come up like um growth is the thing that comes to mind mm. um being frozen or repeating the same patterns is a thing that comes to mind yeah um recovery and responsibility come to mind when we think about you know uh the human soul i guess because we're talking about metaphysics we're talking about the healing of the psyche we're not talking about the healing of the body necessarily Mm. although the delineation gets blurry obviously at a certain point um but that's the the focus of this and already one of the things i'll just mention is people think healing means i am as i was before but if we look at a person who's been in a multiple car pileup accident whose body's been crushed into pieces healing might mean that they walk again with extreme pain and difficulty and this is one of the things that people it's um it's something i think we have to look at when we talk about healing is the parameters right whereby a person can actually how much they can how much can be expected to change and how much recovery is possible And there are events that can psychologically maim a person in ways that even with recovery, they don't return to the state they were before. In some ways, you could argue maybe they're more adapted or better. But in other ways, you could say they're just taking responsibility for wounds that have been inflicted on them that they will carry throughout their life, similar to processes of grief. It's not appropriate to finish or overcome grief. It's a, it, when, when there's a loss that's significant, it doesn't take up the central focus of your life. And yet it's inappropriate for it to be separate from your life. When I think about the death of my brother, Paul, I don't want to stop grieving him in the sense of, I don't want to forget that he's no longer here and that he was part of my life. And so that's something I carry and I can learn to be responsible for it and be in relation to that event in a way that works for me but i wouldn't want it to be gone Jeez, this is this is derailing my plan already josh (laughs) (laughs) because when you're talking about grieving and that it's not appropriate for if i understand what you're saying that that grief like you don't try to heal from grief meaning you don't try to end the grieving process. If 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 there's an event like you lost your brother 
you grieve, then you grieve. And that's just going to be like a natural thing. And, and when you were saying that, I, I just started thinking about my dad because recently uh, he's had pneumonia. Uh, his 80th birthday was the beginning of October. We were supposed to get together, but then we didn't get together because he's had pneumonia for the last month. And my brother, who's up in Seattle, he's going to be flying down this weekend because he's like, yeah, I, I hope dad's going to be OK. I don't know if he's going to make a recovery or not. I think I mean, I think he's going to be fine. I talked with him on the phone yesterday, but I've been thinking a lot over the last you know, few months, really, as he's getting older. Uh, you know, there's going to be a time where he passes. And it's going to be a Mormon funeral, and I'm not going to be. Uh, I, I'm his namesake. <laughs> I'm the oldest son, uh, and well, probably not going to be speaking at his funeral. You know, not going to be like uh, doing any of the temple prep. You know, of his. You know, however he wants to be presented, and these are conversations that he and I just haven't even had. You know, I'm talking about it with you and anybody who's listening to this podcast now, or I haven't even mentioned these things to him. But I, as I've been reflecting on this, I've been recognizing, I don't feel a sense of grief. I, I don't even know. I don't know if I do. Like if my dad passed, I don't know if I would feel sad. I don't know if I would feel grief. I don't know if like not being able, and I, I don't even know if that's the right words of saying able, but but not participating in his funeral the way that I pictured that I would when I was younger and active in the Mormon church, that loss. I don't feel like a, I'm grieving that either. I've been like reflecting on it and going, huh, but I just don't feel the grief. So when you when you mentioned it's it's inappropriate to not grieve or to like, I, I thought, is there something wrong with me <laughs> that I don't feel grief? Or is this one of these things that I'm blocking? Should I feel something that I'm just not feeling and I'm not allowing myself to feel it? So yeah, we're doing a, a curveball right off the bat on this one. Well, there's a very obvious but important thing to, um, it's easy to overlook because it's it's so obvious. And that's the way that some of those things are. And it's that you're actually only imagining these things at this moment, right? They are not something you are living through. And so you're not in touch with grief right now. You're in touch with imagining loss mm -hmm. and you're wondering, and you're, you're not having a reaction to it now. Yeah. And you, you imagine you might feel a certain way and you're thinking about certain things and you're thinking about what it means to be the oldest son and the namesake and, what that would have been planned for you had you followed a, a Mormon path of devoutness and, and stayed in and how yeah. that would play out and what it means now and how you're feeling about the ideas of your father's end of his life yeah, and his death. Yeah. So that, that's an important distinction that when, when that happens, then I'll really know how I feel about it having happened. But right now it's just an exercise in thinking right now you're just thinking right now you're imagining and you're there are certain things that you're connecting to that have you know i was sitting here thinking about what it means to be like an oldest son and i'm i'm the youngest in my family mm -hmm. so i never had that but i don't know if we have any you know non-mormon listeners but it's a pretty significant thing to be the oldest son in a Mormon family. And it's not something explicitly talked about in the Mormon culture, but it has a place. It's similar to 
other cultures that that have that at least i think right it's a birthright it's a huge deal and there's a ton of responsibility and extra work and honor that is placed upon the oldest son um and i feel that in my family with my brother paul who passed away was the oldest and he never fully had that role because he had a lot of sickness in his life and my brother jared has kind of stepped into that role and he is the good mormon son and uh there's something really for me it's actually something i'm so grateful for because he just takes on all these duties and he does all these things and he i give him the glory i'm like jared is doing the fucking work and i'm so grateful for that that i get to be the little brother pissing off in the background not having to take any responsibility or worry for our parents as they age and all that so when you talked about it glenn it 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 had an impact on me to think about um and then i was surprised because you said it wasn't something that really is hitting much and so it hit me maybe even more just thinking about what that means and in our in our culture of mormonism um that role of the eldest son so. yeah i i kind i kind of feel like i've grieved uh, like the the relationship that i have with my dad isn't really the one that i wanted to have but then i kind of look and i'm like but the relationship that i have is a result of the effort that i put into it you know and i don't put that much effort i i put some effort into it but i just don't put that much effort in and i'm kind of fine with that because i feel like the grieving that I had, especially when I was, when I was leaving the church about maybe 15 years ago or so. um, It was when I was living in Tokyo and my dad was back in the U S and I just sent him like a couple of emails about like, there are some things that are really troubling me, dad. Like there's some things I like about the church and there's things I don't like about the church. And I think it was like, I made a list of things that I like versus things that I don't like. And it was like 87 things compared to like 54 i was trying to make it balanced i couldn't (laughs) there were way more things i didn't like but his reaction to it was so you know in our first conversation we talked about emotional uh maturity and it was so emotionally immature like he Mm -hmm. couldn't separate himself from the Mm -hmm. beliefs and you know the the response was what do you think that i'm stupid you think i've never had these Mm -hmm. kinds of questions you think i'm just dumb and i'm like no, I'm asking you, I want to know, like, how do you deal with this stuff? But, but from that point on, like when, when I saw back then that we just weren't really going to come to terms with any of this stuff to make any kind of real connection or have any kind of real conversation, I just backed off and withdrew. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I've, Maybe I've got a, a a world of grieving that I've repressed that is going to happen someday when he does pass away and I'll be surprised. But I, I feel like I've dealt with it, but I don't know. Well, that, I don't know if it's a wound that's healed or not, Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of, you know, tying it back to this, I'm thinking about one of the things that when we're looking at healing that often might be a part of it is looking at endings and people's relationships to endings and endings that happen in a way that a person feels prepared for and participating in Mm. versus an ending that happens to you. Mm. And we're, these are some building, building blocks at the base of this that I, that I believe help people relate to 
the healing process in this way of, of when I'm listening to your story, I'm imagining that the relationship that you have with your father already ended long ago, at least in some way. Mm. And in that idealized form and that you were confronting that and have been confronting that ending already. Mm. Yeah. So, so kind of taking more of an intentional role in shaping how my relationship is like ending the ideal. This is how the relationship should be and going, well, this is kind of how it is and having peace around that. Well, so that, that would be, that would maybe be a healing method, but like somebody might have an ending to their parental relationship in a positive way that they would experience as a wound. So hmm. they would carry that and their ability to relate to it meaningfully. And in a way that they can bear and respond to would be perhaps part of the healing process. So pre faith crisis, there's a functioning relationship with you and your father that has its own qualities, but that way of being with him ends when you show him who you are in this evolution of no longer being a faithful member, no longer, no longer sharing the belief system that he holds most sacred and that he holds a, he has a value system, which says it is virtuous to believe this. So yeah. it doesn't matter what happens. It matters if the belief stops that in and of itself is a sin. And, and he's, so that, he doesn't treat me like that. Um, I see. Yeah. Well, um, even, yeah, but, but th just to flesh out this thing is this is what is at risk for people and what can end for yeah, them. Yeah. And it sounds like was not what happened for you, but what you did get was at least what you've shared is an emotionally, um, he had a reaction and he felt insulted at least in part or was reacting in that way when he's saying, do you think I'm stupid? Yeah. 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 And I, and, and I've gone back and I've reread those emails many times and I've seen areas where I was being like flippant and sarcastic and, you know, I, I wasn't approaching things really in a way that was taking into consideration where he was. I didn't know. I like, I had no idea how to do any of that back then. How old um, were you then, Glenn? Uh, 35, 36, maybe mm -hmm. some, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, let's, let's talk about healing here. And I, I, I want to read this message that I found on, uh, ex Mormon Reddit. It says, does, does one ever truly heal from Mormonism? That's the header. And he says, I'm not so much asking for a yes or no response, but I want to share my beliefs and feelings about this. I've been in therapy for three years. I was diagnosed with complex PTSD after repeated nightmares and flashbacks. The instances of nightmares and flashbacks were full of memories and reenacting temple, temple rituals. I first did the endowment in 1988, so I did the whole throat slitting, cutting open my chest, disemboweling stuff. Look it up if you don't believe me. It was terrible. Fast forward three years, and while I'm considerably better, I still struggle with deep issues about conditional love, self-worth, meaning, and hopelessness. Losing my faith, it dissolved over 15 years, has been devastating. Trying to gain self-confidence has been grueling. It's a constant uphill battle. 
I had no idea recovery would be so exhausting. What the cult took from me, I wonder if I'll ever get it back. When I left those, uh, or when I, when I left, I lost my children to my ex. So I'm dealing with ambiguous loss and grief as well. Anyone who thinks you can just walk away with no scars is delusional. Leaving the mindset of Mormonism and learning to trust myself has been incredibly hard. My Nevermo friends don't get it. I don't blame them. I wouldn't wish the pain and anguish on anyone. Don't get me wrong, not all days are bad. Some, most, are filled with joy and wonder and relief. I said to a friend a while back, I feel so broken. She said, you're not broken, just profoundly wounded. Maybe that's what Mormonism does. Wounds a person deeply, and deep wounds leave scars. And scars are signs not only of wounds, but also of recovery. So there are several things that jumped out to me in there, Josh, but I, I'm curious for you, like what, what's your initial response when you read something like this, you hear something like this? Well, first is just for whoever wrote that, I feel care and, uh, and support for that individual and, and his, his struggles. Um, Assuming it's a him. I don't really know. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. assuming that with the yeah. kids being taken. That's why I assume that. I just yeah. didn't imagine a woman would lose the kids. But yeah, I guess it could be a woman as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And then I'm just kind of thinking about what's being said here. And there's there's this idea of that comes to my mind most primarily. And it's I don't even know if these things should be considered wounds at the level that this person is experiencing them. I almost think that it's like better to think of it as injury, Mm. like injury recovery and recovering from injury accepts that there may be limits on what's possible after a serious injury. Mm. And if it's a spinal injury, then there's going to be limits on what can happen. And so the question for me comes back to, how do we live a meaningful life um, in the face of psychic, emotional injury? And, and there's a certain amount of healing, things that come back and repair themselves. And there is taking responsibility for the state that one is in as a result of having certain things happen to them. And how does one live a meaningful life when there are injuries that will likely be with you through the remainder of your life. That was kind of what started to come up for me in my thinking about it is what, what is a good life? How does one live it? And what is a person imagining or wanting when they talk about this thing of, of healing? And, and then um, from the Gestalt perspective, there's a, on the, on the, discussion of healing they call it the paradoxical theory of change which is i must first accept myself as i am in order to begin to take responsibility for that state such that growth may be possible again but growth and responsibility don't mean that my life is in some way what i might have idealized it or wished for it to have been my life is what it is and there's there's, you know, what we've talked about, there's an abundance within that. 
um, there's a sufficiency within that. There's a returning to a place of, for me and the path that I've adopted is the stoic path. And so there's the ability to achieve tranquility or contentment or live a good life after Mormonism. However, that's all that I would say. Um, one thing that I think about when I think about somebody who's describing the events that this author uh, describes is there was some story. I had the the Nintendo Wii and it would do Wii News. Hey, I just want to jump in here and give a trigger warning real quick. This uh, news that Josh saw on his Wii News, is, it's a little bit of a disturbing image. So just kind of brace yourself and remember. I don't know. What are you supposed to do in a trigger warning? You might get triggered the Nintendo Wii and it would do Wii news. And this was this horrifying day where there was like all these child abuse stories being reported on the Wii news. But one of them, it was so jarring and it was shocking. But it was some mother had like cut her infant's baby's arms off with scissors. Oh, geez. Yeah. And it just, it traumatized me to read that. And I was just like, good God. And that ah. child and yes. And it's, it's just, yes. I mean, it's, I don't even, I mean, maybe we can, give yeah, a warning before I yeah right that that's what i that was the first time that came to me yeah, i wish i had yeah. gotten a trigger warning i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> Glenn. i'm picturing um, it now yeah yeah well so this child will they heal no they're not well, going to grow new arms they're not going well, to live yeah right the so that's they the, were that's, live. that's the question then so, so what is what is no. healing then to that yes to that what, infant what is healing to that human that's now, I mean, this was years back. This person, yeah. I assume, is now an adolescent or an adult. I mean, that was a long time ago when I read that. So the question is, how does that person live a good life in in light of things that happen to them, which are awful, which is really what we're discussing at the core of this. We're using the Mormon lens of how Mormonism might specifically inflict psychological suffering on people. And there are examples of that. But underneath this is something more broadly applicable, which is how does one live a good life knowing that one can be permanently changed by the environment in ways that create challenges that one has to live in relationship to forever? Because that's really what's under this. And if we think that a person can recover from something like what happened to that child, uh, that's kind of insane. But the difference is that these wounds or these injuries that are carried from people in psychological experience is that they're mostly invisible and they really only show up in the behavior and the moods and the the reality or the 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 psychological state that the person's in and so they're not obvious to people yeah so let's so that's let's, let's yeah. make them as obvious as we can yeah so these injuries what are they what yeah, what well, are what are the injuries that come from the Mormon church? Because you said something like psychic pressure or something, you know, like the pressure that the church puts on you, which there's a part of me that's like, that doesn't sound like a real wound. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. like, what, like what, what, well, how do you heal from having your children taken away from you when you want them? I don't think, you I don't know, but them. I, but, but, but I, I, I guess well, what's we want the, to define, define what's healing. The, we really have to define that. And and I guess it's the like what role did the Mormon Church play in the in the the loss of the children, and 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, either way, like, yeah. So if we're, if we're trying to define it to Mormonism and it, the way that it particularly harms people, then that's a different task than this person. But this person is, is at least suggesting that it was part of the, the process of leaving the church that made that happen to them. Or at least yeah. that's what I inferred. From yeah, the, yeah. 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 That, yeah. That in, in, right. Right. I, I, I want to go back to that really troubling image from the Wee News. So this yeah. this this baby that the mother cut the arms off. Right. And to try and draw a parallel to Mormonism. Like what does Mormon right. Mormonism do? Is Mormonism cutting your arms off? And I what came to me was like, I think is it, it's not that it cut my arms off. It just made it so that when I am looking around i'm constantly pointing out the judgments and other like i'm constantly judging others and thinking that i'm chosen or i'm better or you know like their fall and you know like there's this <laughs> whole kind of thing where it's like i i'm pointing my fingers at others but really i'm using that arm to punch myself in the face and i don't even know that i'm doing it all of the time so it's not that i lost my arms it's that i'm constantly pummeling myself by judging others with those arms and i don't even know that i'm doing it but i'm doing it all the time and and that to me is like the type of the type of wounds or injuries that i feel personally for me as i've been thinking about like what did what was the impact of mormonism on my life that created trauma uh it it was a I lot think, of that like judgment and elitism and well what does that come down to when i think about what you're saying and i'm trying to boil it down to answer your question i think of a, a couple things first of is is this idea of conditional value and conditional worth mm -hmm. yeah which which is tied to obedience to to the ideological system and the rigidity of that system is extremely if not impossible to live up to yeah and so there's a constant level of insecurity that's deeply embedded in anyone that is moderately involved in mormonism it's an inherent thing i would say that's one is a deep-seated sense of conditional value and worth I, and i think that's connected to what I, I thought you articulated this beautifully last week, Josh, when we were talking about authenticity and that you if, if, if you have these innate, uh, if, if you don't fit these expectations that are put on you, you can't really be authentic. You've got to uh, curtail yourself. You've got to edit yourself, you know, you, and that to me creates the situation uh, that you're talking about for number one, like the, this, this deep insecurity. Do you see that as a connection? Yeah, I, I do. I, I see that it, so when that's another feature of the rigid ideology is that the conditional value is also yeah. tied to your beliefs and thoughts, which is extremely sinister because those things are out of your control. Yeah. And so you will experience a deep amount of shame because that's the natural human response, which is I must be bad because I am not given enough environmental support to relate to these things. And I'm given a toxic environment, which is that 
if you have these things, the environment is saying you are bad, they are bad, and your response to them should be to identify them as evil and Mm -hmm. of lacking faith. And so when you start to come against this, it's extremely, there's a lot of dissonance. And so that's how I see that as connected is the the ability to be authentic in the face of that kind of a system becomes nearly impossible. And that actually leads to the second thing I was going to say, which is the second place where I feel like Mormonism specifically creates trauma for people is, is again, just that first one is conditional value. And the second one would be uh, that, and this may be related, but it's an underdeveloped, sense of one's own self-sovereignty that the individual's self-sovereign relationship to the Mm -hmm. self is highly diminished in favor of basically um muting oneself into the group conforming so conformity is there's a high amount of pressure for conformity uh in many ways and that leads to an underdeveloped sense of self-sovereignty and self-validity. And, and those are, um, as I'm saying them, they feel really related. They feel really connected, but that's where I would say I see Mormonism as setting people up to experience the most damage. And for me personally, I felt that when I was attempting to use Mormon theological framework to heal psychological wounds and relationship damage that happened in me and it just wasn't working and i was Mm -hmm. like oh this thing doesn't work and there's lots of people that take in full faith the advice of mormonism and end up fucking their lives over um i wouldn't say my sister courtney's life is fucked over and if she's listening i think she has a beautiful life but i know that she had her children earlier than she would have wanted and she's loves her kids she's so happy they're here and she was encouraged to make that choice without fully participating in it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there was a lot of trauma that happens in that. Um, people cutting others off, cutting family members off. And then later, you know, maybe that person dies and then maybe they leave the church and they're like, I did that for no fucking reason because I was disconnected from myself. I overly conformed. And I did that because I didn't have an inherent sense of my own value and my own voice and my own, uh, the the conditions that are placed on my value were, to conform to yeah. these. So that's that's where I get connected, especially with my work with folks in the Mormon church is um or or people who've left it that I've I've worked on in my practice. Those are some of the main themes is an atrophied self-relationship yeah. and uh high amounts of shame and insecurity about the love and connection that they have to others. So deep seated insecurity. Yeah, and that's re- that's reflected in this this message from the the ex Mormon redditor um, when he says that trying to gain self confidence has been grueling. It's a constant uphill battle. I had no idea recovery would be so exhausting. What the cult took from me, I wonder if I'll ever get it back. Yeah, and I would um, say no, no. I would say no. You don't get it back because back is an imaginary thing you're envisioning about what you're supposed to be. And you're not that you're the baby whose arms are cut off, dude. So no, you're not getting them back. And I think, and I don't mean any insult to the person who wrote this, but the attempt to get self-confidence in my view, mm-hmm. undermines self-confidence because it precludes accepting that you don't have self-confidence and that's the first step. So trying to get it 
may be counterproductive because you're trying to now be different than you are and you're feeling even more pain, frustration, shame, and guilt. And what's actually needed is to simply acknowledge the self at the beginning and begin to take responsibility for the self, which is, I don't have confidence. And that to me would be the beginning of healing and gaining it is to look at, okay, since I don't, it doesn't have to be grueling to get it. I don't have it. So how does one do that? What is the method whereby I become confident in myself? I would suggest that part of that is beginning to acknowledge self-sovereignty and start to respect one's own individual experiences and find community and groups where that can be reflected and affirmed and supported like it is in a baby that's developing in a positive environment is they're experimenting, exploring, and they don't have any reactions to themselves. Maybe they do a little bit here and there about certain things, but by and large, they're mainly not self-conscious. And so I wouldn't look, I would look to a method of how does a person develop rather than I'm, it's a grueling ruthless. It's like, it's actually not grueling in my view although it could be extremely painful, there can be a way to do it that first accepts that, yeah, you don't have the thing and you it's not a thing you're supposed to get. It's a thing you develop in time and it requires patience and support. And there's a method. There's a method whereby that can be developed that people lack. And Did in the lack of it, they try to use force of will to be different. It's like telling someone to love themselves or telling someone to have self-respect or telling someone to have confidence, they undermine confidence. If I say have more self-esteem in function, I'm criticizing you. Yeah. So I'm saying you're I, not enough as you I, are. Exactly. That's inherently critical. And so the paradoxical theory of change says, I must accept that I don't have this thing and I need to relate to that and be there. And then I can start to explore and experiment with support, how I can develop that in a natural way. And I've, I've thought a lot about this and that might be a whole nother podcast about self-love and self-respect and responsibility and, and all that, or maybe it's actually part of this. It, part of healing is learning how to meet your own needs in my opinion. Anyway, I'm, I'm going off on a lot. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that acknowledgement of what is as your starting point. You're like yeah. accepting that I don't have self-confidence. Right. And then at least you only have one problem, not two. So once you accept wait, that you wait, don't... wait, I I I hang on. I it seems like there are a lot of different ways that that could ha happen. Like, yes. like yes. emotional states that someone could be in when they're recognizing I don't have self-confidence. Like it could be I don't have self-confidence and I'm really pissed off about that. Right. right. Or I don't have self-confidence and that's okay. It doesn't bother right. me at all. Right. You know, or any any yes. thing like that. And yeah. so it is is it worthwhile at all to focus on what that emotional state is when you're at that starting point of acceptance or is anything fine? Like any emotion, like you you could be angry and it's fine or you could be detached and it's fine or you could be like wh whatever you might want to say it's fine it's just the acknowledgement yeah i don't have this confidence in myself i really don't yeah so this is great you're pointing out that a person can have it and then there is there are infinite and as many people as there are there are already relationships people have to that that experience so it can be experienced in any way so What's it? Self lack 
acknowledging lack of self-confidence could be experienced in any way that a human can experience it, which is infinite relationships to that thing. And the relationship and the meanings a person has about that are crucial. So you're tapping on something I believe is a crucial thing to explore, which is what is the relationship to it? I think this writer has a negative relationship to that thing and says, I ought to have it. I'm supposed to have it. And I'm gruelingly attempting to get it back. And the cult took it away from me. And, and I the can't cult get it back. took it from me. And that's part of the relationship. And yeah. these meanings and these relationships to it exacerbate the problem and add to it in my view. This is where I think I get into to trouble, Josh. I, I Because <laughs> in... You, you said something earlier about how um, once you acknowledge um, where you are, then surrounding yourself with people who will lift you up, like who will give you positive reaffirming messages. They'll um, even just even just enjoy your growth experience by acknowledging it non-judgmentally, yeah, like, yeah. like actually suspending judgment. Like if you were learning to play a musical instrument and you were at a jam session and you were just accepting this is what I can do and everyone's encouraging it. Everyone's loving it, no matter what note, no matter what rhythm, no matter what it is. And you're just getting a chance to experience and explore what sounds and rhythmic intervals you want to be producing and they're supporting. That's a very nice place for somebody that's had the opposite, which is you have to do it exactly right at exactly this time and exactly this way, or you're bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I I said earlier this is where I get into trouble. Where where I get into trouble is when I start trying to uh, talk about victim mentality, yeah. And what what appears to me to be one of these loops that people can put themselves into by the groups that they associate with that then reinforce these ideas that you were a victim of the cult and something was taken away from you that you can't get back and that it's grueling and it's really hard, you know, like have having those kinds of messages reinforced that then play into your confirmation bias. that becomes part of what you're expecting and kind of keeps you in that loop from healing. You're not really healing. You're, you're kind of staying in this loop of, anger or something like that. And I yeah. feel like I get in trouble when I say things like that, because I'm yeah. not being very sensitive to the people who are in it and really need to be in it. And, you know, like, it's not really my place to say the way that you're reacting and responding to this right now is wrong. Here's the right way. Let me show you the right way. And, you know, it, so what's but, the alternative? but right? I have that in me. So this is my like starting yeah. from square one thing. Like I am yeah. so judgmental when I see things that like, for whatever reason, automatically my thoughts are coming up and saying, that's not right. It should be this way. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, if you're there's different functions that you can play or different different ways you can relate to these these things, which is we're kind of analyzing healing and looking at what this person's doing and what we can observe now. That I think is fair game because this is in the public, the person put this in the public. Mm. And so we're discussing it publicly and giving our own thoughts on it. Um, and we can say, it looks like this person is relating. And this goes back to your earlier question, which is, let's say I make the judgment that I don't have self-confidence. And then I make a meaning of that, which is Mormonism took this from me. And will I ever heal again? And I want to be different than I am. We're making observations about what the 
the written text this person put out indicates to us and evaluating it. And that's not necessarily our goal to be supportive or helpful to this person. Although I do hope that if they listen, they get some help. I would, I would want that for them. But when I am just analyzing it, I'm giving myself space to describe what I think is there. And I do think in this case, we can talk about what happens when you make certain meanings about events and what's the likely result for you. And you and I can discuss that. And I think that's an important discussion for us to have and to study and look at and see what's what's there and, and throw our thoughts out about that. Now, so that's one thing that doesn't, I think that's a fine thing to do to analyze what we think a person's doing and what we think we see as a result of them doing that thing. Like if a person is in the gym doing bench press and we see that they get nice triceps and chest, we'll say, I think they did this thing and it had that result. Right. So that's just analysis, you know? And so we're going to do some analyzing of, of what we think people are doing. So if you, if you see somebody walking down the street with, with nice pecs and nice triceps, you go, Oh, I bet they did a lot of bench pressing. Even if you didn't actually see them. Yeah. Yeah, Or we might just say, what did you do? And we'll see, Oh, they did that. Or we might see a person cultivating an attitude of, the world loves me and everyone wants to be kind to me and there's abundance everywhere. And we might see what the result of that, of that is that we analyze. Now that's us as analysts of the world outside of us and how we perceive it. And I think we have, I know as beings, we have the right to make our observations and share our opinions on our observations and what we think is happening. Um, and so we can do that where we are doing that. Then there is the other thing, which is if my goal is to help a person what does that look like and how do I do that? And with something like this, I might invite a person to see if what I'm observing resonates with them. So I would say it looks to me like you're looking at or you're imagining what life could have been like if you weren't Mormon. And so that's where you create a story. And then from that, you say, that's not the reality. And I then say they took something from me. Do you agree that that's what you're doing right now? And if they say yes, you might say, and what is the impact of that? Mm-hmm. And they might say, well, I feel sad. I feel anger. I feel frustrated. I feel pain. And you can be empathic and connecting to that. And then you can say, are you open to other meanings? And let's say this person says, no, fuck no. This this church hurt me. I'm I'm mad at them. Then I would start to look at things I've talked about before, which is what is this person's need and what what need does this narrative fill for them? Mm. And I would then explore that with them to try to bring that into their awareness. And when the need is met, the person will naturally and this, I guess, gets into what I'm what I think the healing process is, is it's really about responsibility and need resolution. That's what I would say is healing and living a life of healing means the person could meet the emotional need, which is I'm angry at the church. I have a need to express myself. I have a need to be understood. I have a need to be seen. I have a need to express the sadness and anger that I feel. And I'm doing that in this way. And then I would say, and is it working? Is it helping? If so, then I don't fucking care. They can be a victim all day if they want. If that's doing what they need for them, great. But if later on they have an issue like they're going around and finding that relationships are struggling because they keep, you know, drawing back to Mormonism and, and, and telling their, you know, people that they're in relationships to that 
well, I'm this way because of these things, that might be, we might look at it then and see if it's still really serving them or if it's something else, or that's a very narrow application. But at some point they may see that once they meet these needs, they don't need to characterize it that way anymore. And they may just say, this is how life was. And this is, it is what it is. And there's a certain level of responsibility I have for the way that I am now. And I take that and I live and I'm meeting my needs and I'm bearing my emotions in whatever way I do. But this gets to other theories that I have, which is when you are a person who's coming out of something like Mormonism, there's a lot of ways that Mormonism is actually meeting other needs at the same time as it's harming you, which is it gives you a spiritual anchor and a sense of cosmology, which is a sense of the nature of reality itself and a way to relate to it around the things that are, I learned this from John Hamer, that are in the metaphysical world, the world of ideas and reality that is not the physical reality, like a spiritual chair or the idea of a chair. People need some some way that they're relating to spirituality, cosmology, and they're living a life that they feel is dignified and meaningful and and meeting their needs and um and growing. And that would be and taking responsibility for themselves as they are. That would be what I would say is like the overarching project of healing. So we can we can participate with this person to look at what are you doing and how's it how's it working for you? That's to make it all very simple back to your question so that we're not judging them or having a reaction to them. Or if we are, we could share our reaction, but with detachment from it. Like we don't believe it and think they're bad. We just say, well, I think that's dumb because I think it's going to harm you later. And it's it's telling a narrative that doesn't serve you very well. How can someone who struggles with self-confidence be a confident judge of how well something's working for them they can't so when you're asking how well is this working for you yeah like the kind of answer that comes from them is kind of an unreliable answer yeah. if, if they're not really question. in touch with themselves yeah it's a bad question so what i would say to a person like that is a better question which would be what happens when you do this yeah like, how do you like and, and describe what happens when you do this? When you're Tell sitting down, you is that how you, you do it when you're working yeah. with clients? Um, to, yes. to, to be able to know if some pattern that they've been repeating as a coping strategy, because it's helping in these areas, but it's actually hurting you in these areas. And they may be blind yeah. to the areas where it's hurting them in. I think that's what you were talking about Mormonism a little bit. You know, it helps in some areas. It hurts well, in others. No, no, no. I was saying like the, vic the victim mentality helps them cope with the trauma of Mormonism in very important ways. And it may start to hurt them in other ways that prevent their, their growth because hmm. it doesn't necessarily get to the need. It yeah. doesn't get to the need they have. And it, it tells a story that is comparing them to an ideal reality that, that they don't have, which in increases negative experience of emotion, most likely. And so it's kind of falling victim to a new ideology or a new um, idealism rather. And they're idealizing what their life could have been and mm -hmm. they aren't living their life as it is, which includes the challenge of recovering from this event that was very painful for them. But that's my meaning making system. Yeah. But to answer your question of how I'd work with a client in this, 
which I think is really crucial and important is I wouldn't ask them, how's that working for you? Especially given that they lack confidence in their assessments. I would stay with the phenomenological approach, which is to say, as you tell this story, what comes up for you? What do you notice? I would just give them space and room because they are a self-author and they do have that and they can do it. And it's my faith and belief that they can do that if given space and support. And if they say, I don't know, I would say, what, what don't you know? Or what happens that you don't know? And I would note that they're thinking and I might, I might give them space and time because sometimes people aren't ready or they have other things there, but I would eventually, I would le- I would operate under the principle that people do have a self-connection, even if it's underdeveloped. And I would give space for the development of that by inviting them to explore things that I notice. And so I would use my own observations and I would say, you know, I observe that you've got some tears coming up. What do you notice now? I observe that you get really quiet when you say this, what's going on? So I'm making observations and I'm inviting them based on that to begin to facilitate their relationship to what's going on in them, which is kind of answering that really important question you ask, which is when a person doesn't have self-confidence or they lack awareness or a relationship to themselves, we observe them, we comment, and we invite their own uh, observation and and self-scanning uh, to see yeah. what they notice about the thing you're observing. Yeah. To talk a little bit about that self-scanning piece, especially when it comes, you know, you, you define healing as, you know, like taking responsibility and need recognition, right? And, and need, need recognition. Resolu- resolution, like resolving needs. Oh, need. Re- okay. Well, first, first you need to recognize that you have the need to, and then like re- resolve it. But it, yeah. it kind of feeds into this self-scanning. Like if, if you're able to really scan, be, take an inventory of, of your thoughts and your feelings, your current state of being, um, do you like train people? Do you teach people how to do that? Have you ever thought about doing any like uh, retreats? <laughs> oh, I love it. It's like, uh, yeah. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> Give me the alley-oop. Um, yeah. Here, let me lob you a softball here, Josh. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've participated in gestalt therapy groups, uh, where we do process group where people practice this in the service of ongoing, um, therapeutic development as therapists. But, uh, also I've worked with clients in that very way for, you know, my, my decade of, of, of work in the field. And it's, um, so yes, so this idea of, facilitating that self-scanning in a uh, encounter group or a uh, process group, which is to, for people to basically look at practicing that in, in an environment with other people around them. And I'm very interested in, in setting that up to, you know, in the new year to get some, uh, some opportunity for people to experience their healing journey in a supportive environment that I would facilitate for their ongoing um, tapping in and expressing and talking about what they're seeing. And one of the things that a group does for that is as one person shares something, it can 
amplify the self-development experience by getting people in touch and kind of drawing into the room and energy around the thing that is coming up. So different figures can emerge and they have all these different counterpoints in the group where people relate and it really creates like a new, it's like, for me, it's looking at cells becoming tissue. Oh, it's I a love more, that. it's a more advanced human organize, organizing. And, and there's, there's something in the healing process that can't happen in isolation or even in the dyad of a therapist and a counselor that can happen in the power of a group because yeah. it creates this more advanced um, organizational level of beings. And uh, you start to be able to encounter and recognize yourself as others practice that mode of, of self inquiry and, and, and exploration and expression uh, in a group with others. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're talking about getting a retreat going and in, yeah. in, in, in the beginning of the year to maybe make this a, a quarterly thing and start bringing folks in and yeah. giving them an opportunity to, to engage their, their healing journey in, in relationship with others. No, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this actually, Josh. So, um, for, for, the, any listeners who are listening right now, Josh and I have been talking about uh, doing some retreats, uh, ma mainly focused on uh, men. Uh, and one of the things you were talking about before we started recording, Josh, was how important it is for the people that participate to be teachable. Mm -hmm. And because you're going to be learning some new skills. And I, I think it it goes along with what was said in this ex-Mormon read it you know what the cult took from me whether you see it as what the cult took from you or what the cult uh imprinted on you which is the way that i see it is that the the cult imprinted it, it taught me how to think it taught me how to do like black and white thinking and catastrophizing and mind reading and all of these cognitive behavioral distortions you know that, that, that people in cbt cover that was that was when I went, okay, I, I, I want to change my career and go into mental health because I can see that Mormonism is not the only institution that does this by any means, but certainly like it imprints on our minds. So like the way that I end up processing information, going back to that, you know, baby with no arms analogy before it's like the way that I was taught to process information was pointing the finger of judgment, which then kind of like pummels myself in the face. And I'm doing this unconsciously all the time so having having some kind of a, a training to mm -hmm. teach like yeah. how do i be aware of what i'm doing so i can know if this is even right. happening in the first place i mean right. whether it was caused by mormonism or any other thing if it's in there and i'm doing it i want to right. know and i want to learn how to yeah. create that tranquility to create that right. peace for myself yeah. that healing and it is me taking responsibility knowing what my needs are and right. and resolving them um i i love that so yeah and it's like i am as i am it doesn't at uh, at the end of the day it, it's almost irrelevant who did it or how it happened it's yeah i am as i am and look you're looking at another thing that's not just that internal uh kind of phenomenological thing but you're actually talking about noticing your processes so i a process is I judge others and therefore I create this feedback loop where it pummels me in the face. That's a process you can look at and you can look at what, what's interesting to me to do that. What does it feel like to do it? 
maybe in a group setting, you might look around the room and and say, I mean, you'd have to have a lot of safety in a group to do this, but if a very well-formed group that had a lot of support and care, you might start saying things you judge about other people and just see what happens and see what happens when you let it out. Yeah. And that would be a very, that would be an experiment and be a kind of a risky experiment. You'd have to have consent from group members to, to support it, but it'd be a very, very rich one, in my opinion, to get some of that stuff digesting in the group instead of festering inside you. Yeah. And, and, and to play with it and play with it in a safe way. Yeah. yeah. Or a informed consent way. Do, do you know the group, uh, tame Impala? Yeah. Okay. I just recently discovered them, <laughs> even though like I've, I've got a 23 year old daughter that's been trying to get me to listen to him for years. Um, and, uh, there's this song, uh, let it happen. Do you know that song? There, the, the middle part of the song, uh, I've, I've been listening to it with some people who like to skip that part because it just like repeats, 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 repeats. And to me, it's embodying this, you know, I've got these loops, I've got these loops, and I've got these loops. And the way that the song resolves isn't by getting rid of the loops. It's by playing with them. It's by joining to yep. it. And then it like, it becomes, it, it like, t- anyway, I, I just freaking love the song. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe I'll do a little, uh, like for, for Patreon supporters, I'll do like a little <laughs> breakdown of the Tame Impala song of like why I dig it, what I like yeah. about it. But um, that's rad. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. No, I mean that you're describing the paradoxical theory of change and it's kind of the analysis I applied to the, the Reddit post is when you accept yourself as you are, including I am painting a narrative or you look at these things, that's how the growth process re-engages. And that's how the need resolution can begin again. And that's how you can start to take on responsibility for your life meaningfully. It's about awareness. It's about uh, acceptance and and acknowledging and, and living. And yeah. so that's really what, for me, it's about. And it it's inappropriate to look at healing as now you will become ideal as you wish you always were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because instead it's now you realize that you are what you always have been and you're like growing and changing all the time. Like right. you always have been. And, and the point of life is living. Yeah. And experiencing the growth and change that you're always experiencing some kind of growth and change. Um, yeah. The goal is to love living. I, I, so this is a weird thought. You, do, do, do you know, Josh, that I channel Arcturians? No, I, I, you mentioned it before, <laughs> but I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love channeled material. I was talking with my sister yesterday. She just bought uh, a course in miracles and she didn't know why she'd like hear, heard people talking about it. Do you know what a course in miracles is? No. A Course in Miracles is a channeled book that was written, I think, in the early 70s. Helen, I don't remember what her last name was, but she's a psychologist, atheist, raised Jewish, who wasn't getting along with her department chair. And she started hearing voices. And she went to her department chair and says, I'm hearing voices. And it's telling me, this is A Course in Miracles, and you need to write it down. 
what should I do? And the chair said, why don't you write it down <laughs> and bring it to me and we'll work with it. And so for, I think it was two years, she would get these messages that were channeled from Jesus, this Jewish atheist psychologist who didn't believe any of this. She's writing it down and she's giving it to uh, her chair and they publish it two years later as a course in miracles. And it's, it's, uh, it's got the feel of scripture. It might be a little triggering for people to read through the overall message of it is there's two forces in the world, uh, fear and love and yeah. fear is a call for love. And one of the things that it did that I thought was beautiful. I, I, I loved this move is it, it reframed the, the, the Jesus heavenly father thing about, you know, God, the father represents just this source energy that is everything that exists. And Jesus as incarnated flesh is every single human being. Like we're all incarnated. And by being incarnated, we forget where we've got this, whatever veil of forgetfulness to throw the Mormon stuff in it. And so we're just kind of in here experiencing what we're experiencing. And it's some version of love or hate or, you know, like, anyway, I, I, I like channeled material. That was a, that was an aside because I was listening to a different thing last night that was was channeled, and it was talking about souls and the development of soul growth. Which I love to use my imagination to think outside of this planet and like what what what's the DNA behind our DNA? Like what's existence like at this like quantum energetic level? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that it was talking about was like how if if a soul incarnates into a a human then it like creates like a new little soul and then this little star starts growing into a bigger soul and there's like this constant like planting little seeds of new that's growing and i thought that doesn't seem that doesn't really resonate with me so much because i i like this view that everything already exists as it is so like there's not something new that could be created that has never existed before it's just like a reorganization of energy that already has existed yeah. so if so to, to pull this back to the, the initial thing that, that got me down this rabbit hole that i'm not thinking that i'm growing from one point to another it's like i'm discovering things that i've forgotten i'm discovering aspects of myself that i didn't that they're they're already there i just I'm like lifting a veil and I'm learning and I'm growing. I'm not really becoming something new. I don't have anything that is a lack that I'm trying to get back. I don't know. It was just some thoughts that I was playing with. Yeah. And because well, I'm saying them out loud. I'm not sure how I feel about them, Josh. Well, let me, let me explore in part with you. What's a tree? And at what point is it a tree? And yeah. is the seed a tree? And is the dying tree a tree? And does it change? Does it yeah. evolve? Does it have a path? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so a, a tree is what you would call uh, something at a certain stage of its growth and development. But you wouldn't you wouldn't call it a tree when it's in its seed stage. Maybe but I would. what you're saying is it's maybe I would. A, maybe yeah, I would. Maybe you would. But 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 it's you'd be point. wrong according to Webster because Webster. No, I'm kidding. I'd be wrong according to no. We're gonna get in. There's heresies in this. Yeah, you're you're wait, you're at wait, risk. Wait, can we of... can, wait? Let me do this. <laughs> right. Okay, uh, edit this out. Really? But, you want me to edit well, this out? Maybe not. Uh, maybe. But okay. You got the clap. 
Okay. But it, it's it's essentially my thoughts went, okay, we're talking about abortion now because mm. when's a baby a baby? Is sperm a baby? You know? Oh, yeah, true. Um, yeah. But I don't want to open that fucking can of worms. Um, right. And for the record, I support people making their own choices. Um, of course, yes. This idea that you're talking about, I think what it implies is a sense of abundance along the journey of life and the appropriateness of the person as they are. And yet people can get frozen in their growth process and they can stop iterating in a new, fresh way. And that disengagement from the growth process in a loop where they're recreating their same relationship between them and reality without it going anywhere, for me, I look at that as counterindicated to the best life possible, but also in some meta level can be appropriate and part of the larger picture. And yet I like to be in the position to help people move out of that. Mm -hmm. So like a, you know, physician doing some work that allows the human process to become a growth process again, versus something unhelpful, like, a virus or whatever, those are also parts of reality and they're valuable in their own state. And yet there are things that we can do to help people move into a process. So if they were a tree, we could do something for them that lets them start to grow again, like other trees can. It engages their potentiality again in a new way. And I can do that. And I value doing that. And so that doesn't come from a person is wrong and needs to be different. It comes from supporting a person to re-engage meaningfully in their own existence such that they're able to either do what they were already doing with intentionality and meaning or explore what other options they have and then gain new ability. Like a musician who's only able to play the same song but wants to grow, I could teach them how to grow again. And that's to begin to notice the self and become responsible for it, to explore new options and then make decisions about them about what they take and keep and what they let go of. And that's kind of the whole process of sucking up the water, the sunshine, the air, organizing it meaningfully into branches and trees that, that give back meaningfully into the cycle of life. Um, so yes, there's an overarching abundance in everything, but also there's states people get in where they're not growing in a way that they could. And I think the growth is ideal if possible, or it, it I can do it. So I like to do it. I like to re-engage people in their growth. Yeah, I, I do too. And and what I've liked from, from the discussions that we've had about doing retreats is that it's to teach tools, but not to teach like, this is how to be, right. you know, it's not like, like, like the, the end goal of how, you know, you, you use the tool for self-introspection to, to know yourself better, not to right. become like th this is the ideal way to be uh, as opposed to this. So change. Right. <laughs> right. Well, we can't escape our own values, but we can be explicit about them. Mm. And I have values and I have a way of perceiving cosmology and the human project. And I wish for people to be able to engage it in their own right and from their own reality. And that includes their ability to reject my view. Yeah. But I am explicit about mine and it informs how I interact with them. Yeah. 
I'm not yeah. valueless. I have a value set and the goal is to be explicit so that people can make their own decisions about it. And my opinion of that is I want to cultivate students, not followers. The student takes in, eats, shits out, gets stronger from and integrates the lesson on their own and decides what's right for them. That is my model and that is my value set. But what I don't want is copycats and followers that come in and try to become a little mini version of me or my right. ideology or something. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I remember hearing Alan Watts talk about something similar once where I, I think he was comparing physicians to like religious pastors or something. And like a doctor wants you to be healed so that you don't, you're not like returning. Whereas like the pastor wants you to come back every, every week, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so perpetuating that there's something wrong with you. And this is the place yeah. where you need to be to get the ordinances necessary for salvation and your weekly, like, repentance and clean you off kind of thing anyway right so right that that you know when i mentioned the channeling stuff i was nervous mm. i wasn't sure if you knew that about me josh and i didn't i don't want that to uh impact the way that you see me that see. like you're like oh wow i don't want to do anything with this guy because he's nuts i yeah that's been that's been like it, to our conversation last week about authenticity, like mm -hmm. the ways that I like, these are the kinds of things I'm interested in, but I don't, I'm not sure how many other people are interested in them. So how am I going to talk about them? Mm -hmm. You know, where I'm like still trying to figure out how to be genuinely authentic with what I am and how I talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have a huge impact on me. I, <laughs> you said huge. <laughs> <laughs> i noticed that we're huge yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah well i'm just more like tbd let's let's learn more about it i'm i'm uh, curious i want to i, I want to taste some of the recipe a bit oh more. do you really yeah i mean i that would be that would be how i would engage it uh to make sense of it i i I actually don't have a strong reaction or judgment to it other than I'm curious. I'd be interested to know. Well, uh, there's a, there's a podcast called the Arcturian playground. Okay. And that's yours. That's, that's mine. And what I do is I'll get an idea and I'll sit down with my phone and I'll just like, rec I'll just like free flow kind of uh, association. And I talk in a voice that's, very much inspired by Alan Watts. It sounds to me like it's a mix between Alan Watts and George Harrison. Mm. The kind of like just demarcates. Mm. And it's this character that I've created. And I'm mm. very intentional about saying this is a fiction and this is a figment of my imagination as I'm exploring and I'm trying to rewire my brain to be more compassionate. And so I've well, created this whole narrative and this story yeah. and I just like explore ideas Mm. And I have so much fun with it. And yeah. I don't want, like, I don't want people to listen to it and go, oh, a prophet. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to believe him. Like, this guy is connected to uh, extraterrestrial beings. I want to go, like, no, this is, I'm playing a game here. I, well, I'm, let me just say, let me just say this to, to respond yeah. to it already. Yeah. Because it sounds like you're kind of doing a, like defense of it so yeah i have been i've been living in defense of it ever since yeah, i started I it i don't want a defense of it i don't care yeah. um what i really feel glenn is this you're not doing anything different than any hollywood actor because an actor <laughs> is channeling true energy that they 
tap into and express through their body and their experience and their thoughts. And that's something that humans can do. And it illustrates a larger truth, which is that's actually what we're all doing all the time. Mm. We are actually creating a character. I'm in a character right now and I'm channeling Josh or this idea of Josh that I have in my mind about how I behave. And some of it is resonating with certain parts of me and some of it I'm tapping out or pushing that away. That unconscious from. ideal that we talked about before. Yeah. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Well, it just, no, even anything. Like I could, I could all of a sudden you bonk me on the head and I say, I'm now going to be this version of Josh. This version is, mm. doesn't like going to the gym and this version wants to be a streetcar racer. Mm. And, And this version of me is now going to engage the world through this new lens. It's a new character. You know, um, where I got this kind of understanding was actually from Jim Carrey talking about his depression and how he realized that in his acting, he was acting as Jim. Mm. He had a character that he was playing and that his whole life was this character. It's actually really profound and and valuable to, to, for people to listen to that. I really like what Jim Carrey is talking about there in this particular instance. And (laughs) It yeah I don't know if I'm not signing off on everything the guy does or says but <laughs> yeah, right. but uh yeah but that idea to me is just like yeah channeling is an inherent part of creative energy within a person that underlies our entire character that we create as who we are at all times and at any moment you could just do a different one it might be harder it might take more time but that's within all of us so when you're talking about what you're doing I have no reaction to it. And it actually just sounds like a very normal aspect of human abilities, which is, I mean, when someone's singing, they're channeling, they're channeling the singer within them. When someone is in whatever role they're doing, you know, they're, they're tapping into, they're drawing upon and they're relating specifically to something. So that's really all I see that you're doing in a specific and interesting way. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, and I'd be interested to hear what you think after you've tasted the, yeah yeah if, if we're even still talking then because you're right i i am very defensive like i like that it, it's been a huge thing for me to go okay i'm just gonna do this and i yeah. feel so uncomfortable yeah. with it and i'm it's keeping ballsy. it kind of under the radar but not totally under the radar but like i yeah i i am i've got well you're I've talking got, about it on a podcast with dozens of listeners so i've i've published episodes on infants on thrones before and i've seen the numbers go down so i kind of (laughs) (laughs) okay so so, well there's some feedback well you know joseph smith was channeling right well everyone's channeling that's my point according to jim carrey we're all playing a game with our experience and reenacting a a character that we've developed that we're comfortable with yeah and and the alternative is to be in that really vulnerable open state where we're encountering ourselves really like a baby, fresh and new. Oh, yeah. this, the microphone's picking up Gretel's snoring now. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Perfect. We put the dog yeah. to sleep. Yeah. That's the goal of every episode from now on. <laughs> That's the fat lady singing when Gretel yeah. goes to sleep. Yeah. We know yeah. the episode's <laughs> reached its fucking, it's, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look up like some dog snoring sound effects so I can get it on because I didn't hear it. <laughs> but <laughs> take your word for it. Cool. All right. Any anything to say to wrap up today? This felt like it was kind of all over the place, but those can be fun too. Yeah. Well, final thoughts. Um, you know, thinking about what are the specific common trends and harm that Mormonism can do. Um, 
I'm thinking about uh, what were they? There was basically the kind of the lack of self-connection, but there was something else before that, but I'm forgetting it now. Conditional you, worth and a yes, lack of self-sovereignty. Those are it. So those two, and they interplay with each other. I think those are two of the biggest things and they get you to make decisions, not from within one, one example for me is I didn't have that. I was formed in the same way you were by Mormonism and it, it, it is structurally a part of me and there's good and bad in that. But one of the ways is I can get into a way of obeying authority. And I did that when I got my dog Gretel spayed when she was six months old. And I hated that I made that choice. I wish mm. I would have waited a year and a half or maybe just never even done it, but at least applied my own sovereign thinking to that. Um, and that was really obnoxious to me, but it's part of like that showing up again. And that part of me kind of manifesting or <laughs> being channeled. Mm. Uh, but so there's that. And then there's this idea of the healing process, which is for me, the paradoxical theory of change, which is when I accept myself as I am, I can take on more responsibility to begin to live intentionally and if desired grow in and develop and become new. And it's almost impossible that you don't, because when you're living in an intentional way, even when the same thing is repeated, it's the depth and the agency that you gain around it um, advances. And so you re-engage with the growth process by first kind of accepting everything as it is. And healing is not going back to an ideal state or back to what you were, but it's living meaningfully with how you are and learning to, I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but to love living. Yeah. That's a, uh, yeah, that's my catchphrase now, but I, I stole that. That was uh, from a, another person that said that all right which is just another version of you which is just another version of me cool well thanks josh um do you have anything any final thoughts glenn no i just have to pee i want i wanted to hear you be like don't cast me out for my channeling no i no i yeah <laughs> or no you were more proactive you were more like i'm gonna give a thesis about this like you yeah whether you whether you cast like, me out for the channeling you. or not i'm channeling you know so i'm you know, channeling you cast me out if you want to cast me out well but, they're no. all channeling everyone's channeling you're just yeah. doing it in your own unique way yeah i'm doing it i'm doing it in ways that i feel uncomfortable with and that's valuable to me to explore <laughs> I get on my hands and knees and I put my dog's toys in my own mouth when I play with her. Really? And I'm channeling the dog when I do that and I fucking love it. Yeah. Okay. I don't I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> I like that response. Well, awesome. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks, Josh. I'll talk yeah. to you later. Okay. Down the weapons that you use against yourself You don't need them anymore Lay down the weapons that you use against the world We don't need another war Put down the weapons that you use against yourself you don't Hi, need this is Hillary Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith. Ashley And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones You can comment on this episode on the website InfantsOnThrones.com And if you really like what you hear Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. 
I tune him to the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick.